Well, amen. Good morning, church. It is good to see you today as we begin uh, a new year of worship and ministry, actually a new uh, decade. Um, January the 5th of 2020 begins a new journey for us. In many ways, it'll be a journey into the unknown, much like the last decade has been. We venture forward in faith, um, not knowing how all things will come to pass, but we trust that the Lord will do great and mighty things. As I look back over the last decade, I think about our work among the Nosu in East Asia. I think among the churches that have been planted, the new believers that have come to faith in Christ there. Uh, I, I think about our college ministry. Uh, I look back and still remember in uh, late 2010, early 2011, when we as a church took a step of faith and um, uh, hired a college pastor. And our desire was to see college students come to faith in Christ. And do you know that last year alone we baptized 16 college students? Uh, I, I can't ever recall a year. Yes, praise the Lord. I can't ever recall a year when we saw more college students come to faith in Jesus Christ than we did in the last year. I think about all of our various ministry opportunities in Honduras that we have had. As you recall, we clothed students at schools. Uh, we have for many years now uh, supported an orphanage. Um, in fact, had it not been for our church, that orphanage would have no support at all. I think about families in our church that have given to build homes for people in Honduras. And I look forward to seeing what God will do over the course of this year and this next decade. We have seen God do incredible things over the last 10 years. We have seen new believers come to faith in Christ. Last year alone, 46 following the Lord in believers' baptism. In fact, next Sunday in all of our services, we will celebrate baptism. God has been good to us. And it is my prayer, as I'm sure it is yours as well, that God will continue to show us favor, that God will move and work in our midst in ways that we have never seen before. I shared with one of our church family members this morning that when I got up, um, there was an individual on my heart um, that just seemed like before my feet hit the floor, I couldn't help but think about a young man in his 20s, the son of one of our very active families who lives out of the country, who is dealing with serious physical illness and who is not a believer, who is without Jesus Christ. And I, I just felt impressed in my heart that we needed to have some time to pray for John Fawcett Jr. this morning. His parents have asked us to pray for him, for his health, uh, but especially that he will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And 
I believe that as we begin a new year of ministry, what a greater way for us to begin than getting on our faces before God and begging God to change a life. We believe in the power of the gospel, amen? We believe that God does great and mighty things. And I am trusting the Lord that somewhere in Germany, a door is going to be knocked on. Somebody's going to walk into a room, see a stranger that they don't know from another country. But yet that person with the power of the gospel upon their life is going to share the Lord Jesus Christ with John Jr. And I'm trusting that we're going to hear that John Fawcett Jr. has surrendered his life to the Lordship of Christ. So what I'd like to do this morning, I'm going to ask all of our deacons to come join me here at the altar. Um, and uh, maybe while they're coming now, maybe there are some of you today, maybe you've got a family member that is without Christ that if they died today, they would miss heaven. And maybe your heart is burdened um, for them. I want to invite you to come. And let's just all gather this morning for a few moments and um, just come before the Lord in a time of prayer. That's what this altar is for, isn't it? And by the way, it doesn't have to just be men. So ladies, uh, come and join. I know many of you are in Bible study with Ann, and you pray with Ann and she is someone that you love, she and John. And so I just want to invite you to come. And we're going to pray this morning that the power of the gospel will change John Jr.'s heart. And by the way, this doesn't have to be the only place where we get to pray. So right where you're seated, join us in this time of prayer this morning. Gracious Father and Almighty God, the one who has always been, who is, who will always be the King of the universe, the Creator of all that we can see and touch and know. The one who sustains our lives. And the one who has given us the most incredible gift that we have ever received. Salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we bow in your presence today. And we ask right now, Heavenly Father, that you would speak into the heart of a young man in Germany today. Wherever John Fawcett Jr. is, whatever he's doing, I pray that right now the Spirit of God would speak to his heart. And I pray, Father, that by the power of the gospel, you would perform a great work in his life. Maybe, Father, through 
just putting into the heart of a believer close by him right now to get up and go find him and search him out and share with him the gospel. Father, I look forward to hearing the day when John and Anne share with us that their family circle is complete, that their son is a believer, and that, Father, you have done a great work in his life. And I pray that we will, Father, remember to lift him before the throne because our God is a great God and our Savior is a great Savior. And the Spirit that resides within us, who convicts us and draws us, your Spirit, Father, the Holy Spirit, is great. And God, we pray that you would do a great work in John's life. And I know there are others here today in this service who have family members, uh, friends, that are without Christ And I pray, Heavenly Father, that the power of the gospel would be visible and evident. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of anything good we have done, but because of your mercy and grace that you appointed in Jesus Christ even before the beginning of time as we know it. That's how great you are, Father. And oh, what great love you have lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would teach us how to walk as the children of God in righteousness and in holiness, awaiting the day when we shall see our King and our Savior face to face. Father, speak into our lives today through your perfect word. May your word guide. May your spirit teach. And may your glory be manifest among us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. And while you're finding your seat, just a couple of things real quick that I wanted to mention. I just wanted to remind you about picking up your gospel above all notebooks. Uh, We're going to be walking through the gospel above all every Sunday uh, this year as we focus on how the gospel impacts our lives. You can pick these up today. They're, They're $3. It's a notebook, a pen. A Bible reading guide where we can all read the Word together over the course of the year. You should have already read the first nine chapters of Genesis, the first two chapters of Job, and what, how rich is the Word of God when we get into it together and read it together. And I hope that you'll take advantage of that and, and get involved. And uh, also next Sunday as we have a focus on our small groups and on uh, just belonging together in community. We're going to be starting a, a new small group. It's actually going to meet in the choir room uh, just right after the worship service. Um, it's going to be called the pastor's class. I'll be teaching the class most of the time, but there'll be others that will help as well. And we're just going to be walking verse by verse through the Word of God. And so if you're not in a small group, if you're in one, stay there. 
and uh, bless your small group as you are now. But as we start a new year, if you haven't found a, a small group Bible study, a place where you can just um, build relationships with other believers and get into the Word, then I just want to encourage you and invite you to come and be a part of, of um, this, this class. In the medical field, what I understand is that normal vision is 2020. Um, if I understand it correctly, it means that you can see what a normal person can see at 20 feet. I guess a group of optometrists got together and decided that a normal human being should be able to see when standing 20 feet away from an eye chart. And so if you have 20-20 vision, you can see with clarity at 20 feet, or your vision is considered normal. By the way, does anybody have 20-20 vision? I just want to say I hate every one of you. Um, listen, I, I want to admit for the record something that you have known for years and years and years. Right? I am not normal. And all God's people said, amen. Um, by the way, I can see that many of you are not normal either. Um, but that is one of the reasons why I am thankful uh, for doctors like Dr. Chandler, Dr. Uh, Godwin, they love to take abnormal people and do extraordinary things with them. Um, as a church, God loves to take our imperfect vision and use it to accomplish great things. He loves to align our vision with His plans and His purposes of what the church should be. God takes our imperfection and does the extraordinary with it. So when we as a staff began asking the question, what does a gospel church look like? Right? What exactly do we mean when we talk about the word gospel? The word gospel means good news. So when we talk about the gospel, we're simply telling the good news about Jesus, right? We're telling a message from God saying, I've got good news for you. You can be saved from eternal judgment through my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible breaks it down this way, God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. That simply means that God made us and we are accountable to Him that our problem is our sin against God. God's solution is salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to that salvation by faith and repentance in Jesus Christ alone. That is the gospel. Right? God made us and we're accountable to Him. Our problem is that we have sinned against God and fallen short of the glory of God. So God gave us Jesus who came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And when we turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ, we come to understand salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. I want to say to us today as we begin this new year of ministry that the gospel is just as important after you have believed as it was before you believed. 
So here's a good starting point for us today. Being gospel-centered is not one way among many when it comes to doing church. It is the only option. So we started asking as a, a staff a question, if the gospel is above all, then what should the church be about? Right? If the gospel is above all, then what does that say about what we emphasize, what we prioritize, what we believe is absolutely imperative in the life of a person who has been changed by the grace of God? Over the last decade, we've answered that question by emphasizing three things. right? Worship, small group Bible study, and having opportunities to share our faith and live like Christ in the world. So we've used words like loving God, growing together, and serving others, right? Uh, over the last decade, we've emphasized those phrases which are the key ingredients of becoming a disciple. Loving God happens through worship as we gather together every week. Growing together happens in our small groups as we meet to study the Word of God and let it affect us, change us from the inside out. Right? And serving others emphasizes what it means for us to go from this place and to be the church that God has called us to be. Over the next decade, we're going to change our terminology a little bit, but we are not in any way, shape, or form changing what we believe is the key to being disciples that make disciples that make disciples. So you're going to hear phrases over the next decade about what it means to behold God in worship. What it means to belong together in community. And what it means to be the church in the world that God has called us to be. So you're going to hear three words over and over and over and over again. Why? Because repetition is the best teacher. Behold, belong, be. Behold, belong, be. Say it with me. Behold, belong, be. So let's start today. Right. What does it mean to behold God in worship? Now, if worship is our response to the greatness of God, then what does it mean to behold God in worship? Now, I've shared with you many times that there are only two religions in the world, just Two. They may take different names and they may take different shapes, but there are only two religions in the world. There is true Christianity, there is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and then there is the religion of human achievement. There is the religion of human effort, of human accomplishment. All religion in the world, apart from Christianity, is merely another form of works righteousness. So the idea that a person can be made right with God through external effort, through some moral activity, friends, that began in Genesis 3, and it is a demonic message. It's a demonic deception. 
that I can earn my way to heaven. I've been told many times over four decades of serving as a pastor. Keeping the gospel clear is a pastor's task. And I pray that I will always be faithful in that task. Paul faced that very task in Corinth, which is our text today. Take your Bibles and let's look together in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul had gone to Corinth. He had preached the gospel. He stayed there two years. He planted a church. Eventually, there were some people who crept into the church that said, in order to be a Christian, you've got to not only accept Jesus, but you've also got to keep all of those Old Testament ceremonies and all of those Old Testament rituals. And so it became salvation by Christ plus human works that had crept into the church. And that is what Paul is addressing in our text. And so in our time together, let's jump in. Right, as Paul begins in verse 12 of chapter 3, he says, since we have such a hope. In other words, our gospel boldness comes from our hope. Many of you will recall uh, last year, just before my mom uh, went to be with the Lord, uh, I got to spend a couple of days with her. And um, I came home on Saturday night, and that Sunday morning, um, my dad called and said, come home. And so, um, you know, that's a tough thing to know what to do, because you have the joy and responsibility of preaching and teaching, and yet at the same time, the desire to be with your mother. And so I felt like the Lord would allow me to do both, and He did. And so I preached that morning and then uh, drove home and got home that night. And I remember the next morning, it was probably 3.30. I I just woke up and um, grabbed a a, a cup of coffee and went into my mom's bedroom and started reading Scripture to her. One of the texts that I read was this. This is Romans 8. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. And now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We remember our hope. 
For a believer, death holds no fear. Why? Because it ushers us into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to live in hope. And so as Paul is teaching the church at Corinth about grace and the new covenant, he reminds them of their hope. And then he goes to Exodus 34 where Moses was in the mountain getting the law and Moses saw the glory of God and his face was veiled. And Paul uses that image in Exodus 34 to make a spiritual connection. That there was something about the law that was blinding. That you couldn't look upon it without it blinding you. Paul saw the old covenant as a burning covenant. Something that was harmful. You see, when Moses spoke to the people, God's glory was shining on his face. And they couldn't look straight at it, so he put a veil over his face. And now Paul is saying, we're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face. In other words, Paul is saying the old covenant has always been shadowy, veiled. It was veiled in types and pictures and symbols. And Paul is saying there is still a veil over the old covenant. Because by their unbelief, they failed to see how the law was supposed to point them to grace. That the law was given to expose our sin and point us to the one who could remove our sin. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 15 that to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So now Paul drives home the point. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. A veil lies over our hearts. What is that veil? It is the veil of unbelief. But when we come to Christ, the veil is removed. When we come to Christ, the veil comes off. The knowledge of the glory of God shines in our hearts. And we behold Jesus Christ. And that leads us to this great verse. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another and this comes from the Lord who is the spirit this is incredible Paul is saying that God shares his glory with us through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we behold that we see the redemptive work of Christ we are beholding the glory of the Lord And then he says we're being transformed into the same image. The saving purpose of God was to create a redeemed humanity who would be like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We were saved to become like Christ. John put it this way, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Here it is. That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of redemption. That's why God saved us. That's why God changed you. That's why God changed me. So we would look like Jesus. And in time, we await for that reality. 
We are progressively becoming more and more like Christ. We are ever becoming more and more like our Savior. The veil is removed. The glory of the Lord is seen in life change. And transformation takes place. Progressive transformation. And who are we being transformed into? The image of Jesus. We are continually being transformed into Christ's likeness from one degree of glory to another until we ultimately receive the final degree of glory and that is the glorified body of Jesus Christ that we take on in eternity. So church, let's remember this today before we go to Bible study. We become like that which we behold. In other words... We take on the characteristics, the values, and the qualities of that which we cherish. We take on the characteristics, the values, and the qualities of that which we devote our hearts and minds to. And so let's apply it to our lives this way. Number one, worship is to behold and treasure God above all else. Worship is to behold and treasure God above all else. We rightly worship. When we gaze, when we behold, when we see, when we take a look at the gospel. And as our life changes from the inside out. Worship is about beholding and treasuring God above all else. Number two, worship that is not gospel-centered is not worship. Jesus reminded us of this and Jesus warned us. He said, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. You and I know in our day today, we live in a day where people shop around for the ultimate worship service. Why? Because we see worship as something that we do. And so if somebody does it better, let's go do it over there. Or let's go do it over there. And let's go do it over there. Dear ones, hear me today. Worship is not something we do. It's who we are. We're living in a me-centric world where everything revolves around me. My purposes. My happiness. My wants. And for Jesus, that kind of worship That worship that focuses on the externals is vain worship. What does the word vain mean? It means it's not worship. True worship is God-centered, not man-centered. True worship focuses on God and His greatness and not on man. After attending church one Sunday morning, a little boy knelt at his bed at night and he prayed, Dear God, I had such a good time at church today. I wish you could have been there. True worship beholds the glory of the Lord. And lives that are being changed. And worship that is centered on something other than God and His gospel is not worship. It may be a religious gathering, it may be exciting, it may be entertaining. But it is not by definition worship. Number three, worship 
reveals what we believe about God. That's what worship does. Right? That's why we celebrate John 3, 16. Right? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, would not be destroyed, but would have eternal life, would have everlasting life. And my prayer, church, as we begin not only a new year, but a new decade of ministry together, my prayer is that every Sunday when we gather in our facilities to worship, we will simply behold the glory of God. That we will know we are here because of the gospel. We're here not just because it's something fun to do on a Sunday morning. We're here because we can be nowhere else. Because Jesus Christ has changed our lives. He saved us from our sin. We get to live every day with hope. We stand with our loved ones who know Christ knowing they're going to be ushered into the very active presence of God. That's beholding the glory of the Lord in its ultimate sense. And so today and every day, let's come here to this place. And let's gather together as a church. Let's just, let's just look up. And behold him there who made an end of all our sin. Right? Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied to look on Jesus and pardon me. And I want to behold Him in all of His greatness as we worship together. I'm thankful that I can come to the Lord just as I am. And you can come to the Lord just as you are. And He will change your life. I want to close. I want to give you this quote. A book I read a while back from John Ortberg entitled, The Me I Want to Be. Listen to what he says. If ever there was a true just as I am church... If ever there was a community where everybody could bring all their baggage and all their brokenness with them, if ever there was a group of people where everyone was loved and no one pretended, we could not make enough room inside the building for that kind of gathering. Let's be that kind of church that beholds God and loves.